Evening, it's really good to be with you. My name's Mark Cameron, and uh, I want to add my welcome to uh, the team. It's been uh, really brilliant worshiping together already. Um, tonight's message, I, I could probably spend like half an hour just wondering, how did Jesus slip away from that crowd? That's so cool. I've always wondered, like, did he go full invisible, or did he just oil up beforehand so that it was really easy to get out of there? I think it's, it's, it's genius. If you don't know Jesus and you're interested, that is enough to kind of bring you in. That's great. Um, tonight's message is, uh, is around this idea of rejection. And uh, as a Scottish person, um, I think I was raised a professional at rejection. You see, in this passage, Jesus going to his hometown, and he basically, they all take issue with other people being in on it. And so let, let me show you a little bit of what rejection for me looked like. In the, in the first slide, there's a little map. And uh, okay, so in my life, I grew up in Newton Mearns. It's in the south side of Glasgow. And in Newton Mearns, we had a rejection method called the other side of the air road. So you either lived south of the air road or north of the air road. So um, that red line is the professional boundary of Newton Mearns. I lived south of the air road. But then we could make some more. So the next one is, uh, this is Glasgow. And in Glasgow, you're either from the south side. Anyone? Nope. It's really lonely up here. Or you were from the north side. And, uh, oh, <laughs> classic north side. Well, that was Glasgow. You were either south side, which was cool, all the good stuff, or the north side, which is a bit stuffy, basically. Um, but then, you know, the big thing if you're from Glasgow is there's Glasgow or Edinburgh. And this is a very hard line in the middle. Um, where that dot is, that happens to be my house. And if I'm talking to people from Glasgow, I say, I don't live in Edinburgh. I live where that dot is. It's South Queensbury. So I'm not really uh, an unfaithful Glaswegian. So, however, it, you know, it gets a bit worse. So the next one shows that um, if push comes to shove, there's Scotland and England, and I will always reject the English. Um, it's painful. It's painful. Um, it gets worse if, if it really came to it. In the next situation, I would um, say, oh, no, 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 I'm from Great Britain. All you wild Europeans with your strange undercooked meats and overpriced beer in Scandinavia. We are Britain and we are proud. And then if it really, really came to it, if you're abroad and people say, oh, you know, you Europeans, we would say, yeah, you know, at least we're not Americans. You know, wow. <laughs> I got a lot of distinctions for rejection <laughs> where I am from. I like sci-fi movies which pitch the humans against the aliens as well. It can go all the way. Like, we get all these different ways that we reject and that we carve up the world into in and out and, yep, you're all right, and no, you're not all right. And this passage is about a group of people who held a deep rejection of other people groups, so much so that it caused them to turn on one of their own. It caused them to pick up Jesus and attempt to throw him off a cliff. Savage. Um, here's the thing. Look, as people... We need to understand that the desire for acceptance, to be part of something, is a great driver for us as people. 
that we can gain acceptance and keep it by learning how to reject other things is what seems to create the systems that we live in. In our faith, in our body, what we accept and what we reject kind of keeps us alive. So part of what we need to do is understand how does acceptance work and how does rejection work? How can the cases where we get exposed to rejection painfully um, be something that builds our life rather than takes us out the game? We're going to need to see this by recognizing how we have been like the crowd. We've been the ones carrying Jesus, carrying someone off a cliff. And equally, many of us have been like Jesus, been rejected, been cast away, been told where you are not welcomed. We've got to develop um, ways of experiencing rejection in a healthy way. It's unavoidable. Are we going to need to live in a story called they rejected me for who I am or they just never got me as a Christian? They just don't get Christianity in our culture anymore. I think by seeing Jesus encounter really deep rejection, we are given the opportunity to explore how we actually can build resilience to rejection in our lives. So we're jumping into this passage and there you saw it. Jesus was uh, teaching and preaching and his stature and the reception around him was growing and growing and growing. He was trending. His followership is blowing up. And then he does that thing where he comes back to his hometown. He came back and he had this attention and this admiration. But there can be something about going home that is a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe some of you have just come back from home after, you know, going home for, uh, from university and you've become a new person in your year, you've discovered new things, you're into poetry, you've got podcasts on the go, you have discovered uh, 15 ways to cook super noodles, it's powerful. And you went home, and then your, you know, your folks were like, honey, pick up your shoes, <laughs> pick up your shoes now, put them in the cupboard. And you go back into this regressed state when you go back home. So Jesus is coming back to his hometown. Everyone else thinks it's Jesus. Wow, this guy's amazing. He's amazing. But you do get a little bit of the sense that they're going, oh, look, it's Joseph's wee boy. Oh, that's nice. Oh, hi, Jesus. I knew your father was a good man. Hi, Jesus. And you get this sense that half of them want to take him really seriously because they see this remarkable characteristic. And a group of them also just see Joseph's wee boy. Jesus then stands up to read that week in a meeting much like this. And he proclaimed it. He proclaimed that scripture. And then he claimed that it was done. He read it out and then he said, in, in your hearing, this is fulfilled. Paul was sharing on that this morning that basically <clears throat> uh, Jesus was speaking in this sort of traditional order of play of a service. There was uh, readings and set prayers, a scripture read, prophets, um, a prophet reading. Then there'd be a talk and an explanation and a benediction. And in the middle of this reading, just, you know, as Christine did, um, Jesus said, what you have heard has been fulfilled and just sat down. It's like Christine was to read this and say, I am what that passage was all about. Good night. 
Jesus interrupted the flow. And so they're amazed and they want a miracle. They'd, they'd heard the rumors. They're like, this, this is it. Something's happening. Would he, would he heal someone's sight? Would he turn the water into wine? Because that was a great, great miracle. And he says, I know you want this. I know you want all this blessing to come into your community here. But then he tells these two stories of when the people who got blessed weren't the people who were in the town, weren't the people who were in the circle. This Jewish community expected the blessing from Jesus, the miracle there. And Jesus starts to unpack, actually, my message is going to reach beyond you. It's going to reach the Gentiles, the non-Jew, the other. And this was so offensive to them. This was not okay. They were from the other side of the air road, the Gentiles. They were not welcome. And you get this feeling of Jesus, everything he said, they were like, amazing, yep, I'm on board. Yes, Jesus, yes, yes. And then suddenly something really uncomfortable. A few years ago, I went to see a band called uh, Queens of the Stone Age in, in Glasgow. It was this amazing festival and, you know, their front man is one of my favorites. And he was like, you know, does the thing. Glasgow! And everyone's like, yeah! And then he's like, how good is the Ferris wheel? Yeah! And then he's like, do drugs! And the crowd are like, oh, uh, I, don't really, I don't really know what to think of this guy anymore. But the, so the people here of this moment, I don't really know what to think of Jesus. They pick him up, they run off. They look to destroy him. They reject Jesus flat out. And so we could go down a really simple route for this message. I wrote out a little, a little message plan that would be the easy one to do. Here's the, here's the message as we could do it. Um, firstly, we can say everyone's been rejected, and I'm going to help you recall a vulnerable, painful memory. Secondly, everyone needs healing from rejection, so I'm going to put some Bible passage in that's going to kind of make you feel good. Thirdly, we're going to pray that God fixes the, the not nice feelings and the band will play softly over me praying sadly. <laughs> that is an easy, easy night for us. Could be a good one. But the thing is, here, and we're looking at how has rejection happened, not just in us, but how has our culture rejected Christianity and how have we rejected culture and what we're going to do? Um, the thing is, we need to realize this, that we've all been the mob throwing off Jesus. We've all been the mob throwing someone off, and we've all been Jesus ready to be thrown. We've all rejected. We've all been rejected. At a global level, a lot of our beliefs as Christians have been uh, rejected. Individually, many of us experience different kinds of rejection day to day. So we need to get clear that rejection matters to us because we need to have a quest for acceptance. If I was to say that love is, is all you need and love is king and we're, we want the world to know love, it's a powerful thing to say, but it doesn't mean an awful lot. And so we need to break down the word love to get a few distinctions for what love actually means in our real day-to-day -day experience. I heard someone once break it down to these three words, acceptance, value, and belonging. They could sum up love by saying it is acceptance, value, and belonging. 
and that love is sourced from God. All of these are sourced from God and resourced by people. That's the ideal setup. And that's why Jesus would retreat. He'd go to the Father and he'd receive acceptance and value and a sense of belonging because the Father spoke that to Jesus. And then Jesus resourced that. He sent that to people. He gave us a pattern which says, spend your lives offering people acceptance and value and belonging. When we're developing, when we're growing, we're like sponges for this stuff. Our eyes are just drinking in. Where is acceptance coming from? Where is value coming from? Where is a sense of belonging? So we crave, you know, we need acceptance to sort of function in the first part of our lives. That then comes with challenge later and growth. But they'll always come back to, is there a sense of acceptance? So we need acceptance, number one. The next thing that we need is to get a useful sense of rejection. We can't just call rejection a fundamentally flawed thing to have. Um, When I was two, I was at my grandparents in London and I had chicken nuggets and I loved chicken nuggets when I was two. And I started wolfing them down, five, six, seven of them. And then my grandpa leant over and he stole one off my plate and he bit into it like, ah, ha, ha. And then he went, stop. I said, these are frozen. So two-year-old Marky uh, spent a very long night in hospital um, with a lot of things coming out. <laughs> and, uh, and that is key. So our bodies are trained to reject what's not good for them. Thank goodness. <laughs> Um, we've all rejected relationships. Anybody ever broken up with anyone? Rejection. <laughs> We're professionals at it. Um, we've all left friendships. We've all um, left jobs. You've rejected living in every other country in the world. We have chosen something about saying this is our place and we reject other possibilities. We need to be able to reject well. So how is it that sometimes rejection is painful and can be shattering to us. Um, I'm going to ask Josh to help me out with my flip chart because I want to unpack a little bit of how we experience rejection. Um, There's a couple of things to just catch as the board comes up. The first one is um, rejection can feel like when we're exposed to something malevolent, something chaotic, out of our control, that does not feel good. Thanks, man. It's great. And the way that we experience rejection kind of goes on a bit of a, of a scale. So I'll try and do my best graph here. So you've got a bit of a scale here. So on one side, you've got the experience of something, I'll call it malevolent or chaotic, painful. And on this side, we would say um, the expectation of something like that happening to us. So if we have a high expectation of something really crazy or chaotic or dangerous happening to us, that's one thing. But if we have a low sense of it or if we trust somebody, if we don't think they would betray us or reject us, this has consequences. So if you have a very high sense of being rejected by something, if I went into the woods 
and I stole a bear's cub. The bear would, I would expect, the bear would harm me. But if I have a friend who betrays my trust, or goes behind my back, then the experience I have of rejection is much, much higher. High sense of malevolence and a low sense of expectation leads to huge anxiety, rejection. See, we can handle situations that we expect are going to be tough and challenging and stressful. You can handle going to the gym and putting your body through a workout and experiencing pain after. The thing that doesn't happen is when we have a naivety which says, I don't expect to be treated that way. I don't deserve to be treated that way. That's when we can experience great anxiety rejection and exposure to something harsh and a low expectation of it happening. That's the point where rejection kicks in. If you're to then add in an institution which has betrayed your trust, like a church, like a government, like a, a social service, that's going to compound the impact of the chaoticness of the pain and the issue. Psychologists are starting to study it and calling it institutional betrayal. And they say that the stress level caused with institutional betrayal is like four times the damage of an individual. It compounds up. You see, Jesus was getting wise to this. He summed it up once and said, be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Be ready to preach to your home community, but don't be that surprised when they get offended and try and run you off. It didn't take out Jesus' ministry. He actually seemed ready to slip away. He actually had a high sense of expectation that he would be rejected. And that helped him cope. This is a bit about how rejection works. And we've all been the crowd, haven't we? We've all been the Nazarenes in this story, rejecting, outrage, running to throw Jesus off the cliff. One of the things that seems to be happening in the culture just now is that there's been a rejection for uh, many of us in memory of Christian values, you might say, or simply of the platform for Christianity to have a voice in our culture. And that's part of what this series is unpacking. Where do we stand now as the church in our culture? What relationship do we have? And we need to understand that we've been rejecting as the church the impulses of humanity since Christ. So much of what is being rejected in our Christianity and the history of the church is probably good. If we were going to go back 600 years ago, we, we used to be violent at stamping out what didn't fit with Christianity. We, would, like, we drowned witches in the name of Jesus in Prince's Street Gardens. And so something's actually happened that there has been a rejection of many of the ways that we used to do faith. Christendom or the, the idea of a Christian nation Maybe it brought greatness, healthcare, um, brilliant society, but it brought a long shadow with it. Everything that didn't fit in, we tended to project onto others and drown them, arrest them, burn them, invade them. So we wouldn't say that it, you know, it was a bad thing that inquisitions and witch hunting and crusades and slavery and segregation and arresting homosexuals, 
has stopped. Uh, Closer to home, maybe the judgment that used to be laced upon um, divorcees, that there was subjugation, that there was domestic abuse under the banner of male headship, any of this was an embarrassment to our faith. And a lot of that has been rejected. A lot of our scapegoating and um, shaming has been rejected. The thinker um, Sam Harris, controversial uh, writer and uh, philosopher, he, he writes, in Christianity, we're not tending to meet the Christians of the 14th century anymore. And that's because of what scientific rationality and secular politics and humanism and capitalism and just modernity in general has done to Christianity. There's an embarrassment that I would say maybe we need to be grateful for some of the ways that our culture has chipped off the harsher edges of how we used to express our faith. Uh, the, the Jewish atheist, the mathematician Eric Weinstein, he unpacks it as the idea of what maybe is happening is that people are scapegoating the scapegoater. The ones who used to lay the blame on every other soul, they're now getting it all double back laid on them. He says there's a tolerance bordering on excitement about the opportunity to stick it to those who have stuck it to you from your perspective. And this is the hard bit that we are waking up to just now in the church. But what if we started to joyfully really take responsibility for the part that we played in creating the culture that we feel has now turned against us? Because it's there that we're realizing we actually get to contribute something back into our society, something new. We stand in a different place as the church. We're not a dominant empire. We're not a ruling political party setting everything up. We have a different voice now, and this is often where the church does its most beautiful work, on the margins, prophetically speaking in. Are we prepared to evolve as the church, to think differently in response to what's around us? We're not harping back to the hometown, the good old days. We're speaking boldly like Jesus and wondering what is coming next if they reject this. So the invitation's out there. Who wants a fresh go at this um, Christianity and society game that's at play? What do you want to contribute in your workplace with your voice and the faith that you have now? There's been a rejection of so much of our faith, but what is it that culture is now crying out for from the church? It's an open field, guys. It's an open game. How do we get to be the church in our medicine, in our art, in our business? This is part of the adventure that we're going right now. As we kind of land in our last bit, we want to think, well, what is it that we do then with the rejection that we have experienced? We get that rejection could happen on a big cultural level, but do you know what, Mark? You just don't know what I've had. You just don't know the life that I've had. And I understand that. How do we start to reframe rejection in our lives? How do we start to bring it to God in a way that's really helpful? 
There was something there that Jesus wasn't surprised that they ran him off. He called it, and he knew that his message would probably cause rejection. I don't know if he was like expecting to be thrown off a cliff, probably by his like high school teacher or something. But there was something that happened when Jesus prodded into this idea of the Gentiles being blessed and not just the Jews. It would have caused a great fear in his hometown people. They might have said, well, we, we would be tainted. If you're going to bless the Gentiles, if you want us to open our borders, well, we could be tainted again. Or even worse, we could be enslaved again. The last time we merged with a community, we became slaves. There was an avoidance of that. Or maybe it would just be, but if you're going to bless everyone, then we're no longer special. And if we're not special to God, then we become insignificant. When Jesus provokes something that's tucked away in a person, he can experience rejection. And we know this. We, we know this is often what happens. When, when we've been shocked that we get a really malevolent reaction from someone we never expected, it's maybe because we've tapped into something that they just weren't ready to be with yet. We might call that in the person's shadow, this part of them that is pushed aside. How often um, I find people who are really direct and upfront and blunt and sharp with their opinions, I can get really offended by that. You know why? It's because I'd love to be more like that. And probably in me, there's a massive chunk of that. I just haven't really let myself do it. How often do people who are, are massively confident or outgoing provoke an insecurity in someone? And I want to encourage you, if you have experienced rejection to a degree that has hampered your life, know that it was probably, I would almost say certainly, so much more to do with the other person than anything that you did. There's something that happens that whatever gets frustrated in another person says way more about them than it does us. We've provoked something. This is what's happening where Jesus is speaking into that time. Because they saw Jesus. They saw this little uh, Joseph wee boy. And Jesus said, hey, and all of you, I actually am going to speak some stuff and it's about greatness. This prophecy has been fulfilled today. There's greatness in you and you could go and bless all these nations, as the call was originally. And they said, we can't, we can't, we can't. There was a prophecy happening that um, God said, I'll make all nations great through you, Israel. And then Jesus starts calling that out, and they say, no, 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 we can't be that. Reject this guy, chuck him off the cliff. There's something that happens. People complain all the time about charismatic leaders. Why? They'd love to be like that, perhaps. And so I want to ask us tonight, what, what conversations are we willing to have? What ways are we willing to understand what rejection's been like in our life? Maybe there is a person for you that jumps out and you've experienced rejection with them. And maybe it's not super obvious. Maybe it was just someone a little further down the line. It wasn't deeply malevolent, it was subtle, but you feel rejection. What is the conversation that you want to have with them? If you were to understand their other motivations, if you were to understand the, the strength in you that they got maybe jealous of, 
um, what conversations would allow for some of this closure on the experiences that you've had of rejection? How do we need as a church to get a new frame on our place in society? Rather than saying, oh, church is in decline, our ideas are being rejected. What do we want to offer? What do you want to offer your workplace? What do you want to offer your school? What do we want to offer our amazing city that God has placed us in in this time?